from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I'm Rocky LaFleur, and I've got Mr. Jake LaTundras back with us again this week. And the operator and manager of Duck South, Mr. Josh Webb. How you guys doing today? Good. I'm good now right, that fellas. we're not uh, now that we're not fighting technology. I'm great. That's <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> you can make these openings sound or try to make it sound as wonderful as anything in this world. And you know, before we came on the air, we were trying to get <laughs> the the app that we use to record this podcast. Um, trying to get it to work and. Jake, Jake's just sitting there. Sure, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> I sit. I was seriously just sitting on my phone, uh, playing with a photo app while y'all were jacking around with it. <laughs> oh, well, guys, look. I, since it's the first of April, not actually the April the first, but you know, one of the things we were talking about while we were jacking around with this this app to get to start recording, one of the things that I thought would be neat to talk about that we were talking a little bit about before we started was the uh, April Fool's jokes that went around. Now, all of them you saw on social media focusing on the outdoor industry, what was your favorite? And did you fall for any of them when you saw them? Josh, go ahead. Yeah, the first one... That, that I saw, I guess, and, and realized what it was, was, uh, you know, Tangle Freeze, uh, April Fools with the, uh, the small dog. Uh, I don't even remember what they called it. Uh, they call it a satchel, whatever they called it. But one of the reasons it caught my eyes, a good friend of mine was, was in one of the photos, Chris Booker. And of course, Booker's a huge guy. Uh, I mean, a big, big stout fella, and he's standing there. That, that's what cracked me up most about it was how serious it all was um you know and he's standing there just like he's working ducks in the timber and he's got you know his little um uh, i don't even know if that was their dog but it was you know a little lap dog uh you know touching little Yorkie. Little, little, yeah and uh you know i i immediately screenshot it and sent it to him and i said well this is impressive you know and he just laughed after <laughs> you know uh when i did that but it was man that was hilarious and I mean, there, there were a lot of people who believed that 
And there, and then on the flip side, there were a lot of people who got mad about it because they thought it was real, <laughs> and they got mad about it. They got mad that that a company like Tangle Free was really going to put something, you know, like that out on the market. Yeah, that was that was funny. That is that is the funniest part. The reaction they actually had to post up to the public an apology, not not really an apology, like they were sorry they did it, but they had to apologize for. Uh, developing a concept that people believed in because people got so irate with it. <laughs> and, and Jake, your 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 connection, your your connection to this April Fool's jokes goes a lot deeper than than what Josh and I even knew about it. Can you tell 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 everybody a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I didn't even I didn't even put two and two together originally, but. On I guess it was Friday. What day was April Fool's? It was Saturday, right? Yeah, it was Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, so Friday I get this email from uh, the pro staff uh, administrator at Tangle Free and social media guy. He he operates, you know, half of Tangle Free at this point. But he uh, he sent me an email and he said... Uh, Man, don't be offended. See, what they did this year was they took a few guys and they, they gave us our own day where my day is Saturday. So every Saturday, either Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, they post one of my photos or videos as content for their social media platform. And so I get this email warning me that they weren't going to post my photo on Saturday and for me not to get offended and to be patient because it was something – there was going to be a value to Tangle Free. And I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, no big deal. You know, it didn't ruffle my feathers. And then when I saw it, actually Josh sent me the photo of Booker standing there with that foo-foo satchel, whatever you call it thing <laughs> is. And, <laughs> and then I, Man, I, and as, soon as, I saw, as soon as I saw it, I went, oh, yeah, I know now I know what Thomas was talking about. <laughs> oh, God. Josh sent that in our group text. And, uh, all right, look, what is the word? I like to believe people, so I I guess you could say I'm a little gullible. I, I don't ever, I always try to find the best in people, and I don't ever believe that anybody's pulling a joke on me. So when I saw that, you know, as stupid as I am, I actually believed it. For a minute. A lot like, of people did. That's what, and that's what was funny to me was a lot of people believed it, but not in support of it. Like, they were mad at Tangle Free for, for putting something like this God. on the market. And that's what was funny to me was people I, were, oh, that my was hilarious back, my, to me. My back thought on it was not that whether it was believable or not, my back, my thoughts on it were, God, this is the dumbest idea I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the, the extent they went through getting, like I said, Booker in, you know, in the timber, and then they had the other guy I didn't recognize his face, but you know, they had him like in a coffee shop wearing it and had a little dog in it, and they had him walking down the sidewalk talking to people. At, I mean, the, I don't know. Props to Dangle Booker. Free, that was hilarious. I mean, that, that was, was one of the funniest things. That was hilarious. Things. You know, I remember, I remember one time. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say that was probably one of the best ones that I've seen in recent times 
But I remember one time when I was when I was at UT in Knoxville. This doesn't have anything to do with hunting, but I got to tell you this story. And Johnny Majors was the head coach at UT, and he came on television. He did all three ABC, NBC, and CBS affiliates in Knoxville. They all got together, and Johnny Majors did an interview, a press conference, and he said the University of Texas was suing the University of Tennessee uh, for using their logo and the school colors. So they were changing their logo and changing their their school colors to black and gold. And, oh, my gosh, Knoxville was in a freaking, like, I mean, it was like Independence Day in Knoxville. People were breaking stuff. (laughs) And so he had to do the same thing. He had to come on television. You know, they let everybody off the hook that afternoon. Um and anyhow, but you know, the Tangle Free was definitely out of nowhere, and they pulled that rabbit out of their hat, and they were very successful with it. It was really funny. Uh, all right, so I've got to admit how stupid I am again. Okay, look, laugh at my okay. expense. I don't, I don't, I don't care. You can, you can laugh at me, but I saw the one about the the Bluetooth camera on the bullet. And oh yeah, I saw that one too. Yeah. Yep. And did you know, I I, I sent, did I send that one to? I you? actually fell for that one. Did I? I sent oh, that I, one to our I group. I did too. I saw that one. Look, on I, I, mean, I did too. I, I I fell for that one. My brother-in-law sent it to me, and I watched every video and looked at every photo they had because, like, wow, this is this is ridiculous. I, yeah, that was fun. My first thought was, oh, they'll be putting those on arrows pretty soon. That's exactly what my brother-in-law says. I'm like, well, can't you see the hole that it makes? I mean, do you really need graphic bullet hits? (laughs) While we have some, while we do have some some knuckleheads in the industry, there are some pretty creative and and funny people. And when stuff like that goes around, man, you just got to laugh and and just be glad you're a part of it. Oh, it is, it is marketing genius. Yeah, I mean, it that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's so, uh, I mean, it's like, I mean, they weren't cheesy and corny by any means, but, you know, the cheesy, cheesiest and corniest, you know, like, like TV commercials, those are the ones that stick in your head for the longest. And, and, and mm-hmm. so their marketing worked. And that's kind of the same way with these. I mean, they're hilarious, whatever. There's probably a lot of people who won't admit that they got tricked by some of them, but but it worked. It was funny, and you know, I mean, it was just. Uh, it was, hey, you said there was another one too that you saw, Rocky. And I don't know if I, I probably did see it and fell for it because I don't I don't recall which one you're talking about. Well, I didn't I didn't think any about anything about it, but it was a, a big name in the outdoor industry, and I I can't I don't know who it was, but they said that he killed a caribou elk cross. I'm like. Okay, you know we. <laughs> I didn't see that one. No, I did not. See that one. <laughs> but it, I didn't think oh, anything man. about it. Or we shoot, shoot one or two cross ducks a year. <laughs> oh my god, I did not see that one. But that I is freaking that hilarious. One. I like that. That's pretty good. Mm. Yeah. No, I missed that one. <laughs> I, I mean, look, they, they, these guys, that, the, the guys that created this stuff, man, 
if you go back and look at the one about the bullet, look at how many times that thing was shared. Now, you've got to say, what, 50% of them shared it because, hey, it's a great joke. But the other 50% are like me. They're like, wow, no, man, I'm going to give me some of these. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. is that There were people, you know, trying to make sense of paying $100 a box because that was that was cool. I mean, that, you know, people were... Uh, yeah, people were going pretty crazy over that one. I mean, I, I, I mean, I was trying to figure out ways to where, where I could use it. <laughs> oh, hey, I guarantee you, there's probably some manufacturing center in China right now trying to figure out how to do it. <laughs> You're probably right because it got a lot of traction. Oh, All right, well, look, no that, that that leads us to this. Let me ask you this: What is the best prank? that you've ever pulled on anybody? Oh, man, I cannot even talk about that on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I have to think about about a clean one. That might take me a second to think about that. I'm a prankster. Like, I do, my family, like my two sisters and my mom would tell you that, you know, when I was a little kid, I used to hide around corners and scare people and put, you know, put, fake like fake ice cubes with bugs in there or even i put minnows uh, shiner minnows in an ice tray one time and made ice cubes with minnows in them and put them in my uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh man gosh that is that's awful but it's hilarious yeah it, oh, it uh it went over well. It actually went over well with my family. My dad thought I was a genius. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't remember the, the the big details of this, but I pulled one on my best friend one time. Uh, Goose is his name. And Goose, I'm sure you'll be listening to this. He'll remember it. But uh, my wife, she's a doctor, a vet, and she is serious all the time. You know, I when opposites subtract, she married her opposite because I love jokes. I love playing around. I love joking. I love pranks. <clears throat> well, I got my wife to play along with a joke one time when we were dating. And anyway, I told I told Goose that I'd been seeing this other girl on the side. And I called him <laughs> and told him I was going to her house that night. <laughs> well, I got... I got Roy in to call him to try to figure out where I was. And you could see his redness on his face for having to tell that lie. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, he, he's been out. He's probably just on his way home. You can't get him right now. <laughs> and he has never let me live that down of pulling that joke on him that, you know, to cover up, a cover-up, the cover-up prank, I called it. So... My dad told me one time when he was a kid, and he was in, I guess, elementary school. He was a trapper. This was way back in the whenever, the 1930s or 40s. And Anyway, my dad was a trapper, and he had trapped a skunk, and he, 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 he did away with the skunk, and he cut the scent bag out of it, and he tied a knot or tied some fishing line around the end of it and kept it together and put it in a paper sack and took it and put it in the hallway uh, in his school. And when people walked in, they stepped on it. <laughs> they stepped on it and they tracked that skunk <laughs> all over the 
<laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Josh, well, you're pretty serious all the time. Animals, you know, that's funny. Animals turn into pranks a lot. I don't know about the, the worst or funniest. I, uh, in my freshman year in college, I turned a uh, live possum loose in the KD hall and <laughs> thought thought that it would be, you know, I mean, it was, I don't know, 9 or 10 o'clock at night and, you know, really thought that, you know, you'd hear something about it. No, it was it was almost a week later before anybody found that possum. And he he was just living up under the Coke machine, apparently. <laughs> the girls found him. And he was still fine and okay. But, um, and I don't know. Uh, we took one year when we were um, in a hunting club. <clears throat> Excuse me, my granddad and I took, we found... I don't even know where we came up with all of these Christmas decorations. I mean, there were uh, some of them were in the barn behind the camp house when when we got the place. And, I mean, it was just it was everything you could think of. So anyway, we all hunted one morning. Um, there were six or eight of us there that weekend, and uh, so at lunch, everybody was in the camp house asleep, laying around watching football and stuff. Well, we slipped out and just acted like we were going hunting, and. We took everything. I mean, we took like two or three, four of the loads, just all the stuff that we could find down into the woods. Kind of had an area where everybody parked, parked their four wheelers and went hunting. And um, well, Jake, you've been there. It was that anyway. It was just kind of that that little grassy hillside down in that bottom. Anyway, there was not a cedar tree around there. When we got done that did not have decorations on it. I mean, we had stuff scattered for a hundred yards up, up through there. And and we didn't tell anybody about it. So then that afternoon, you know, everybody you know was going hunting or whatever. Well, we and we were about the third or fourth little you know four wheeler in line. And the front two four wheelers, one guy jumps off and bolts his gun and goes to shoot. I mean, they I, I don't know what they were thinking, but people when they came around the corner, they started freaking out. We just did it for fun, but they ended up all getting mad at us. I mean, real mad at us for doing that. And I, I don't know why. I mean, we just thought it was hilarious. But, I mean, there were, I mean, we had snowmen and reindeer and Christmas lights. Of course, they weren't plugged in. And we had stuff scattered all down through there. And, um, but, you know, they, I mean, they got mad. They got mad at us for doing that one. Uh, I never really understood why. But, um, you know, I don't know as far as mean pranks uh, that, that I've done. Um I mean, I've done well, plenty hey, of them. Josh, right. I'm going to tell you about one that, that's close to home to you, okay? And I didn't even know at the time that I was pulling a prank, and I'm going to make this as short as possible, but my cousins and I, Heath and Keith, uh, Killerbrew, which you know them, Josh, big farmers <laughs> yeah. now. Well, when we were young and broke, we would, there was a guy, if we ever needed beer money, all we all we had to do was catch or kill something, and we would sell it to him, you know, to pay for our beer. Well, we couldn't find anything to kill except one thing. That that particular night, we came up on a goat. This is a big old Billy goat. <laughs> and anyway, this guy bought everything. I mean, from armadillos to possums to coons to fish to deer, whatever it may be. I know that the statute of limitations have passed now, but we would sell sell him those and it would, you know, he would take them and give us cash and we'd go buy beer with it. 
Well, we killed this billy goat, shot him with a bow. I tied him to the roof of my explorer. <laughs> and, dude, my white explorer was red and white. It was covered in blood. We tied him to the roof. Go to this guy's house and said, you know, oh, I don't, there's no billy goat now. You ain't bring me anything except a billy goat. So we had killed this billy goat. And we'd go all around town, the town of Chula, trying to sell this dead billy goat. Nobody would buy the billy goat from us. So at the end of the night, we get sick of riding this billy goat riding on the top of our explorer. So right in the middle of Chula on the railroad crossing sign, we take a rope and we hang this billy goat up on the railroad crossing sign in the center of town. Well, little did we know what that meant. So anyway, we go back to their house, spend the night. I get up and I'm going to church with my parents and I come back into Chula that morning and traffic is backed up for miles. I'm like, what in the world is going on in the little town of Chula for it to be backed up for miles? So get up there and I finally get to the railroad crossing. Man, I kid you not, the city cops, the highway patrol, the sheriff's department, uh, I finally see one of the police officers that I know because I play basketball with him and practice with him. I said, man, what is going on? He said, the damn KKK came through town. Look at that. They hang a goat up. You know what that means, don't you? I said, no. I said, what does that mean? He said, damn KKK, they after somebody in Chula. <laughs> and so the FBI all the way to the city, the city's cops are investigating this goat hanging from the railroad crossing. And I didn't know that, but if you ever, that's what they used to do back in the old days. They would take a a sheep or a goat, and they would hang it in somebody's yard, and that meant that they were coming back for that person the next night. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've never heard that, but that's pretty awful. <laughs> but, you know, months, hey, and months, after, months and months after that passed, I would ask that guy, I said, like, look, did y'all ever catch that guy? <laughs> if they caught the, F, you know, the KKK person that hung that goat from the railroad crossing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is oh. definitely old. But, look, hey, let's say, look, I want to ask you this. You know, you look at Facebook these days. Let's just take Facebook, Instagram, all the social media sites. The most shared and the most um, commented on themes are prank videos. Why? I mean, what, Jake, Jake and Josh, y'all are a lot smarter than me, but why is it? I mean, is it just human nature that we love laughing? I think we like, yeah, I think that's, I think that's part of it. I mean, the human mind or emotionally, I think everyone wants to laugh. So, you know, they always say, if you can, if you can make someone laugh, you can make money doing it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just think it's, it's just funny. I mean, no, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it, it's just, uh, it's just it's just the drawing power of pranks and stuff to the general public is funny. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's some of the most of the videos and stuff that I watch are prank videos. Uh, I mean, look how successful that like TV show, that TV show, America's Funniest Home Videos. 
I mean, you know, the the host, whatever his name, uh, Tim Daggett, was that his name? Something like whatever his name was. Anyhow, that show was, I mean, it's still going. They're, they've got a new host, but it's the same exact show with the same exact theme, and it's just these funny, you know, viral videos that people have of things going wrong. And then if you look at, I mean, there are Instagram pages out there that are called, you know, world's most funniest fails or girls in failure or or whatever. It's something about failing and people literally like, you know, slipping on the ice and falling through and, you know, into the water or, you know, just some things. Really, people get hurt doing it and, and, and you can't help but laugh because it's funny. <laughs> and they're very... They're very successful, and they always go viral. But it has to be real. It can't be, you know, a lot of these things can't, you know, can't, if, they, if they're if they set up too much, they look fake. They got to look pretty real, too, you know. Well, I mean, you look at one of the most popular television shows that's on TV right now, um, Impractical Jokers on True TV. I don't know if either one of you have ever seen it, but it, look, I, it's one of the few things that I record on DVR. I mean, that show is freaking hilarious. Yeah, and they, they humiliate each other. I mean, that is fun. I'll I mean, definitely have to check. Yeah, you need to you need to watch that just once. It's on True TV, uh, Jake. Impractical Jokers is what it's called, man. You will freaking love it. I mean, that's just like Josh, last, you know, last winter when, when Josh and I made that bet on the migration report. So many people were anticipating Josh's punishment. And, uh... I mean, people just want... People like to see other... They like to see other people humiliated. Uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's just... I, I don't know, I mean... Um, I, don't, I don't know why. So I don't know why. So uh, I don't know. So viral, just you know, just funny. I think people just like to laugh. People like oh. to laugh. they like to see people get hurt too. Like you know, that's why people like to watch hockey because they're always crashing into the boards. People like to see you know wrecks on on NASCAR races. People like to see wide receivers getting crushed by a linebacker or a defensive back in the secondary. People like to see dudes you know and dunking over another guy and landing on top of him. I mean, people like to see other people fail. <laughs> I think I think that might be the like like that might be the the center of why practical jokes are so funny. They like seeing people get had as long as it's not them. It it is a you know we, you see it more and more coming out in the hunting industry. Um, you know, I don't know if it's reached all the way out to Colorado, but one of the popular things in the South right now, Jake, is uh, the Yalt Yalt guy. What What is his name, Josh? David Ellis is his name, and and I'm I'm trying to get him um, on here with us. He, he's going to let me know a good time uh, when he can be on here with us. But it's it's just funny, and I mean it is. And I mean, look, that last video that he put up last week. I'm talking about. Less than seven days. Like it has not been a week since his last video went up, but it's two hundred. No, it's more than that. It's it's like three hundred something thousand views. And I mean, it's nothing but him just sitting there being goofy, talking about turkey hunting. Like that's it. 
it's a minute and a half, two minutes long, and he just, I actually saw his brother um, the other day when we were eating, and, uh, and I mean, he just, he's just a normal guy, he's just funny, and, of course, there's people who don't like it, there's people who say he's doing it just for self-promotion, all this other stuff, but he's not that type of guy, he, he never thought twice about, um, he never thought twice about this happening when he put, you know, some of the first videos up. He just thought it was just a funny video, and <laughs> it's exploded in the last two weeks. It's hilarious. You need to look that look him up, Jake. Y'all, it's, it's Y'all Y'all is the page, but it, it, it's great. I'm but definitely I mean, going to look that. I mean, you look back, and I know that, that three of us, even before we started recording podcasts, you know, when we talked about TK and Mike, you know, we've had that conversation numerous times outside of this podcast and talking about those guys bringing comedy into the outdoor world. I mean, those guys were a freaking phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, they were they were hilarious. And they were, and, and no. I mean, they were just they were just funny dudes who who found a camera and thought it would be funny to share the funny crap they were doing with other people. I mean, it was just I mean, it was just funny, but look at look at right. some of the uh, there's even uh, the list goes on with the with that same sort of concept. Michael Waddell really made his way as an iconic figure in the industry being funny. And do you remember uh the Flyway Highway? <laughs> oh, I remember yeah, yeah well. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, that was a clown show, but, man, I, I think I maybe saw one episode ever of Flyway Highway, and the reason I avoided it because everybody talked about how dumb it was, but I remember turning it on one time. I said, I'm going to watch this, and the guy, I don't even know the guy's name that hosted the show, but he had his brother. They were duck hunting on the Platte River, and they were arguing over which way the decoys were supposed to be set, and they ended up getting a fight on a sandbar on the river. <laughs> And it was one of the, I mean, it was hilarious. And I thought, well, no wonder people like this show. It is pretty stupid. Yet at the same time, you know, comedy, comedy is, comedy is, is medication. <laughs> <laughs> Laughter is good for the soul. No doubt. But let me say this before, before. I, I think that's why people enjoy hunting camp so much because there's so much crap that goes on inside of a hunting camp. You know, so much laughter, so much good medicine for the soul when you go to hunting camp. And I, I think that's why as men, I think we enjoy it so much. That's probably true. It's uh, escapism. <laughs> Speaking of hunting camp, that's what I was getting at. I remember this prank. This was about three, I would say three or four years ago, I was down at Sweet Lake in southern Louisiana with my friend Grant Hillman, and I'm going to tell him to listen to this. Rod Haydell was there. There's a bunch of guys on, on there. They've got a barge that's got a big house. You know, it's a houseboat, a hunting camp. And so we're all sitting there at one night after a, a, a duck hunt having um, adult beverages, and it was probably about midnight. And I was, I was, of course, being a cameraman, I was just intrigued with all the gators that were around, you know, around the boat at night. And so I, have, I put a GoPro on a, a broomstick, on the end of a broomstick, 
and I was splashing it down in the water trying to get these gators to swim up to it and bite it so I could film gators with a GoPro. And this this may have actually been like five or six years ago. So this gator swims up, and he's a pretty big one. I had lots of little ones swim up, and all of a sudden this bigger, you know, lizard swims up to the camera, and Grant, being the, the can I say coon ass on this show? I just did, I guess. Oh, yeah, we've had them call themselves that on here, so you're perfectly fine. <laughs> okay, so Grant, the coon that he is, he reaches down and grabs this gator by the snout and pulls him up on the front deck of this houseboat, and, I mean, it, it turns into a freaking circus immediately. So he jumps on top of this gator. <laughs> he's on top of the back of this gator, and he's screaming for someone to go get some electrical tape. So I forget who it was, ran in the kitchen, grabbed some electrical tape, came back, gave it to Grant, and they wrapped his uh, snout shut so he couldn't bite anyone. So four of them picked this gator up. He ended up being, I, I'd say he's about seven and a half to eight feet long. He's a pretty good-sized gator. So, uh, again, it was late at night, and there had been, there was three or four guys that had gone upstairs into one of the bunk rooms to go to bed. And so we all snuck up the stairs real quiet. They had a seven- or eight-foot gator with them, and they opened the door. All the lights were out, and they threw this gator in there and shut the door. And there's three guys in there in uh, a sleeping <laughs> in bunk, and it sounded like two cats fighting in a freaking car. <laughs> <laughs> so three guys oh, madder than hornets. And uh, anyhow, that was a that was a pretty funny prank. And of course, enlighten everyone on what happened to the gator. They ended up, you know, taking the tape off the gator and turning them loose. So it was a happy ending. <laughs> Oh god, that that's hilarious. I mean, funny stuff like that. But look, I, while, we, while we were sitting there talking, I looked Rocky and and David put that video. They had the last video on that Yacht Yacht page. He put it up Saturday. Today is Tuesday, so in that time frame, it has four hundred and twenty-four thousand views. And he's and it, it's a minute and a half long. I mean, he's just. He's just it, it's just funny to see people be funny. That's all it is. Um, I'd love to see a video of, of... I wish I would have had a camera in the room with those guys when you put the gator in. That would have been hilarious. I wish I wish I would have done that, too. Heck, I had a GoPro in my hand. I don't even, now that you mentioned it, I don't even know what I did with that GoPro. I probably threw it down when he pulled that gator up on the deck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me. <clears throat> Well, uh, let's talk about let's talk about hunting a little bit because we have had a ball talking about pranks. Jake, what did I, what are the turkeys doing? Have you talked to anybody? This well, y'all y'all probably hadn't opened yet. Yeah, we have. We have an early bow season out in uh, in Nebraska that starts the third weekend of March, typically. And I mean, I can tell you what they're doing. They're still in winter mode. We saw me and my boy Walker saw it a flock uh, out in Nebraska, there's probably three to 400 birds, I don't know, 50 or 60 longbeards uh, all strutting out in this field. So they're all, I mean, they're all flocked up. And, you know, I've got stories of friends that are out in Nebraska hunting right now. And I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what they can do differently. And I'm like, you either need to be where they're going 
or you need to go home and come back in about two weeks. <laughs> or have so about 200 decoys set out. So y'all are about a month behind us here in the south. That's probably about right. It gets snowed here this morning. Did it really? Yep. We had a we had a light snow. It was a wet snow, but it was a light snow, and and uh, you know the ground was it wasn't quite an inch, but there was definitely you know the grass was white and the treetops were white, and looked up in the mountains and it was totally covered in snow. Well, are, are people still skiing out there, or is that that'll go on until? No, that'll go on till mid-May. We get people don't realize it, but April is the snowiest month of the year for the state of Colorado. And that, and most of the time, is that a wet, heavy snow? Mm, yeah, typically that's probably true down here on the Front Range. But as you get up higher in elevation, at you know eight or nine thousand feet, it gets colder, and you know it's powdery, but. You know, it's it's still spring snow skiing. Right now, the Denver International Airport is completely covered up in spring break kids and families coming out to ski because all the prices, the you know, the lift tickets go down, the, the the ski lodge rentals go down this time of year. So it's like the busiest time of the year for Denver International because of all the skiers coming here to go skiing. But um, I'm going turkey hunting. I'm, me, I, Jess. DiLorenzo and I are going to go up to uh, Prairie Rock Outfitters up on uh, the Platte River in western Nebraska in about 13 days to do some turkey hunting and filming. So I'm getting I'm getting pumped for that. Hey, what what breed of turkey is that? Is that a mix or is that a is that a full Miriam there? They have uh, Prairie Rock Outfitters. They are unique because they're in they're in western Nebraska, like western western nebraska near scott's bluff <clears throat> and they're actually not too far from the wyoming border so their and their properties extend up into the wyoming on the wyoming line in the pine ridge area so they actually have property up there where you can go kill a a pure strain uh miriam or you can go down on the river bottom um, and shoot a hybrid Miriam Rio hybrid as well. So they've got they've got lots of cool, you know, changing terrain that you can hunt up there. It's pretty. It's a it's a really neat place. What what is a what is a hunt with with them? What does it run? Do you know? I think, I think it's fifteen hundred bucks for two turkeys uh, in five days. I believe it is. Um, and turkey tag, you know, turkey tags are over the counter, of course, up there. Um, but I, I, I believe that's either twelve hundred or fifteen hundred dollars for for a two day turkey hunt. That's all your food, uh, transportation from the airport, or if you drive, transportation to the hunt, all the hunting locations, room and board, everything's, You know, once you get there, you don't have to spend a dime. So that's that's somebody that you've hunted with a good bit in the past. Yeah, we started waterfowl hunting with these guys. They have, man, they've got whitetails, big muleys, big whitetails, big pronghorn, antelope. Uh, they've got, you know, two different subspecies of wild turkeys, and they've got a tremendous waterfowl duck and goose hunting opportunity on the Platte River as well. 
um, they're they're in the ranching uh, cattle business, so they have a, a lot of ground that they you know they graze their cattle on, and they either own or have the rights um, uh, lease rights to the properties. So now they're just sort of tapping into the outdoor you know hunting and hunting industry, and you know we're promoting uh, Latondras Media is promoting them and. We're happy to be there. They've got, uh, you know, they've just got a, a lot to offer. It's, it's a pretty cool place. Now, when you say that they offer waterfowl hunts, now I, this is me asking a dumb question, but is, is most of their hunts, are they, are I mean, are they dry fields or is it on the river itself? Yeah, they've got, they've got both, um, both um, scenarios. Um, they have cornfields. Uh, they have lots of pivots that they lease for the corn rights, and they they farm it. And they have pits out in cornfields for the geese, and of course the mat. I mean, anyone that knows the Platte River knows that it's pretty much ninety five percent mallards. Once the migration, you know, settles into their winter, wintering area there, and um, so they they do have dry field hunting, but they also have pits. These they sunk um, tractor trailer uh, trailers into the ground and they welded benches. I mean, they're really they got heaters. You know, they call them the Megatrons. They're giant goose pits, um, but they're located right over the river. And we had some tremendous duck and goose hunts this this fall and winter with those guys. It's a you know you have hunting the Platte River is like one of those. You know, you got to go hunt green timber. You got to go hunt South Louisiana. You got to go hunt this and that. And the Platte River is one of those destinations for waterfowl that, you know, you, you, at some point you just got to go hunt there if you're a, you know, if you're a waterfowler that wants to experience the whole, you know, the the whole the whole concept. Well, that's that's kind of the subject that we were on yesterday with. Uh... With Jay Paul, we were talking about people planning hunts for this upcoming fall and winter, and you know that was you mentioned the Platte River yesterday, didn't you, Josh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Platte River is one of those places that that, that more and more people are going to. Um, but it's, I mean, I wish I could go all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean that that place. I don't. I, I mean, I agree with Jake. It's it's one of those places that you have to go. Um, it's it's on my list. It's it's close to the top of my list. Well, that's a, I tell you what. I tell you what. Let's ask Jake that question. I mean, it'd be because Jake has been in the outdoor industry forever. You know, with people planning a hunt this fall or winter, Jake, what are some places that people that love waterfowling and passionate about waterfowl, and what are some places that they have to go? And I look, we don't, we don't care if you say the outfitter's name. You know, if you have somebody that you know in those locations. But what are some can't miss opportunities for waterfowlers? Where do they need to go? Well, obviously, you know, we have to start. You got to start with green timber in Arkansas. I mean, that is like that is the epicenter of duck hunting. Would y'all not agree with that? Oh, I, no. I fully agree. Okay. Then, as you start, you know, reaching out, a you got to go down to southern Louisiana. That's a very unique environment, and you know, that's for 
they shoot lots of multi-species, you know, lots of pintails and stuff like that. So that's a for sure thing. And then, man, there's just so many places. I mean, we've talked about, I've talked about this with Jimbo so many times about just different film projects and, you know, concepts and places to go. But I would say the top of the list for the, you know, your, if you really want to hunt mallards and hunt them in different situations, you need to go to Cheyenne Bottoms in Kansas. That's a that's a must do. You have to go to the Platte River uh, in Nebraska. That's a must do. And a river that a lot of people don't know or understand, and they should because it starts at 11,000 feet in Colorado, and it goes all the way through, really, um, the skirts by media, the most, you know, famous public duck hunting in the entire country in Arkansas is the Arkansas River. That thing is loaded with mallards. There's a few guides that work it. You know, it flows through Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, and then all the way through the state of Arkansas and dumps in the Mississippi River. And people don't realize how many mallards use the Arkansas River as a uh, flyway corridor really to connect the central flyway to the Mississippi flyway. It is a tremendous resource, and it's a really cool hunt. It's very similar to hunting the Platte River, a little bit different, but but very similar to that. And, you know, Jimbo and I have talked about hunting these small rivers like that for mallards. It's almost, not quite, but it's almost as cool as hunting green timber in Arkansas. Um, so l- let me ask course, you this. If I told okay. you, Jake LaTundras, you can't go but to one place next year, Outside of Arkansas green timber and the Platte River, where would you choose to go as an adventurer? Well, I mean, let me, I'll, I'll give you two scenarios. One, I'm affiliated with Prairie Rock Outfitters, and, you know, they have a great opportunity. So if, you know, if you call me or you hit me up on Facebook or Instagram and ask me where to go, I'm going to point you to Prairie Rock Outfitters because they're friends of mine. Now, having said that, you know, really there are guides uh, all along the Platte River from the Wyoming border all the way to, um, you know, all the way to to Iowa. And um, really anywhere along there, um, you're going to have success. The further east you go, the more crowded it is because the closer you get to Lincoln and Omaha and in Kearney, Nebraska, it's just high, more highly populated, and you're always going to be in a lowland, you know, river drainage situation down there because it's draining towards coming from high elevation, draining down towards the Mississippi River. If you come out west to the western um, section of, you know, the, the Panhandle of Nebraska, that's where you really get into this western style where you see, you know, these 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 dirt bluffs and and dirt you know rock towers that stick out of the ground you know out in front of the uh, the Platte River and you get this really western feel to it. So if if I'm gonna tell someone to go somewhere and they want a unique unique experience, I would probably I would probably instruct them to go to Western Nebraska because it's got such a unique feel to it and it's all mallards. I mean it is all mallards. Yeah, and it you know, with as time passes by more and more, uh, who knows about the science behind it, but it seems that the ducks are going further and further west. 
as you see the harvest numbers that are occurring. I think, I, you know, that's a really good point, Rocky, because, you know, I mean, as, as social media has exploded over the last nine or ten years, particularly with Facebook, you know, we've noticed, we've all noticed more and more people from all over the country getting more involved. I mean, it's easier to, to market, you know, products and, and it's easier to promote photos and videos from coast to coast because you've got access to social media. And I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I do, I do, I do know this. 20 years, 25 years ago when I moved to Colorado, I had this whole place to myself. There were very few people out here that really had, you know, knowledge of waterfowl hunting that was applicable to the south, that, you know, that was applicable to the west. And it worked. I mean, they're just, you know, the same techniques. And now you see the same kinds of techniques out here that, you know, we grew up with in the south because they picked up on those techniques on social media and television shows and, and this and that. And so I, I personally believe it's, got, it's become a whole lot more popular. So that could have, you know, uh, an effect on, on the harvest count. And at the same time, you know, there, there's lots more conservation, waterfowl conservation going on out here as well, um, from nesting boxes to prairie pothole conservation and all that. that you know, perhaps we do have a higher population of waterfowl. Than well, I, I know from talking to different people that travel and hunt, and Josh, you brought this up. You you take the lamb, Jed Lamb and them, um, as much as they travel. I mean, what is his greatest quote from this past season, Josh? Yeah, oh, he's talking about, oh, yeah, 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 go west or... I don't remember exactly what he said, but it it was equivalent to go west or or, or don't hunt. <laughs> I mean, and and I mean they hunt Arkansas a lot, and and mm. I love hunting Arkansas. And there's nothing against it. It's just I think so many people are are a part of the crowd, and um, you know I know a lot of people that that are that have hunted Arkansas for years and years and years that are now. Let, you know, going fewer days throughout an entire season, you know, versus hunting 45 to 55, maybe even all 60 days of Arkansas season, and instead only hunting 20 and 20 to 30 days, but they're doing it all in Oklahoma or Kansas um, because they just because things have changed so much, and they, you know, they they just. They they like that atmosphere out there. So many people do. We we had a long talk about this yesterday. Um, you know, a guy called me Friday and was asking. You know, that's what he said. I'm getting ready to put together a trip. Where should I go? And the first thing I said was Oklahoma, and it kind of caught him off guard. Mm-hmm. And you know, and the the reason for it is just, I mean, and look, there's nothing against Arkansas. There's nothing against South Louisiana. But you know what I told him and what what we've talked about a lot is if you want to see mallard numbers the way they were here in the mississippi delta and the arkansas delta 20 years ago um go go hunt kansas you know oklahoma north texas uh, you know get out there and do it on top of that it's a i mean this you know for most of the country that's not that's not like it's a long way off and it's it's still reasonable to hunt out there, <laughs> um, you know, and 
So, uh, yeah, that, that's why I say. I mean, I, I say go out there. It's, it's going to be fun, and you're going to get to see incredibly impressive numbers of birds that aren't getting the pressure that some other areas of the of the U.S. are getting. That's, I mean, Jake. that goes full circle what we were talking about earlier and the Arkansas River because the Arkansas River, when it flows through Colorado, Kansas, and Oklahoma, that is a huge, again, I mean, it, people don't realize how much corn is grown around the Arkansas River and with all that water coming from Colorado flowing through Arkansas, I mean, it is a direct artery of mallards to the Mississippi River and it, those ducks migrate you know, basically west to east and east and west. They just, they don't go north and south. And, you know, at any given time, I mean, you could, I mean, every place I've hunted on the Arkansas River, I haven't hunted Oklahoma yet, but I've hunted Kansas and I've hunted lots of times in, in Colorado. I mean, when you go there and you find a good spot, I mean, it's like a beehive. I mean, it really, it's, it's what, that's the only thing you can say when you, when you get under a flock that's forming a cornfield right adjacent to the Arkansas River. Everyone says the same thing. They go, they look at it and go, holy crap, that looks like a beehive. Hey, Jake, let me ask you this. You're you're able to hunt with one of the, I guess you'd say, masterminds of duck hunting, and you're able to pick his brain apart in in the guys at R&T with Jimbo. What, and I'm not asking you, but I'm sure this discussion has come up between you and him because you're spending a lot of time in the wintertime with them. But what what are, what are people like him that have been involved heavily in the industry and their their livelihoods are built around duck hunting? What are people like that? What are they saying about just just duck numbers in the South in general? I mean, because they don't go off of the old conspiracy theories of you know blah blah this or global warming or whatever it may be. You know, you hear these conspiracies. They're feeding them on the ice in Missouri. Those people know the truth. And, and what I'm saying is, what what is... Because I know that Jimbo is not going to sit there and say that duck hunts are what they were 20 years ago today. You know you know what? This is very interesting. And I'm going to switch gears. Uh, you know, Jimbo and I were having dinner at Greenbrier, one of the premier clubs in Arkansas. And... Dale Hall, the CEO of Ducks Unlimited, was having dinner with us, and he brought up something that I'll never forget, and he said, we were talking about social media and all the duck numbers and just like this, you know, it's just this, it's just this plethora, like people all over the country are just smacking ducks all the time, and, you know, you see piles of birds here and there, and so, you know, he brought up a good point, he goes, you guys don't realize, you know, this is the heyday. Like, people talk about back in the day. We are back in the day right now. Duck numbers, you take the, the, the early 80s into the mid-80s when we were kids, you and I, Rocky, I mean, I remember going out. That's when the even the 100-point the system was was taken away federally because that was too many ducks to harvest based on the numbers we had. And, you know, you could kill two mallards a day back then and one other duck. And, and, you know, and it was very limiting. And so if you look at it today, you look at the numbers of ducks and all the conservation efforts that have gone into the prairie potholes and breeding grounds and wood duck boxes and goose nesting boxes and all that. 
and and you look at the numbers today, the numbers are tremendous. And I think, you know, when there aren't any ducks around, there are perhaps reasons why Tennessee and Mississippi in particular, you know, are are having issues with, with your duck numbers. Um, and, and honestly, I haven't really thought or talked about much about how they've shifted in the migration other than the fact that what you just alluded to a minute ago, which are conservation practices, wetland wetland management, even whether it's duck clubs or whatever it is, there's just better habitat. People are letting CRP grow up and they get flooded. You know, those are natural food sources for ducks. And, you know, um, I mean, just, there's just so many different things that, that go into play there. But, you know, again, I think we are in our heyday. And, from, you know, from, from Arkansas west, particularly out through these river systems like the Platte and the Arkansas, I mean, it is really unbelievable how many ducks and geese we have out here now. It's crazy. Well, it's, are Jimbo and those guys, are they having to travel a little bit more, you know, to get, I to would get ducks say, on camera? I think it depends. The, the, the biggest talk in Arkansas when I'm down there or when, you know, Jimbo and I probably talk two or three times a week, and, and oftentimes this comes up, and I think one of the main issues is whether, you know, whether you have water or not. If you have water, then the ducks are happy and the people are happy. If you don't have water, then, you know, guess what happens? The private clubs in Arkansas, while they get blamed for holding all the ducks, really the the, the practicality of it is that they're holding what few ducks are there there for everyone else because the ducks that are holding on these private clubs and that's you know that's to answer your question that's where jimbo that's where we end up going and and you know in situations like that is we try to get connected with some private clubs so we have a place to film but you know again the complaints come in about private clubs but the reality is they're refuging the ducks and those ducks get up off of those refuges in the morning and they fly out to public ground they fly down to the cache um um in the white river bottoms and you know people on public ground end up having ducks to kill there because of these private grounds so i mean i, I think if i i don't know if i answered your question or if i got more complicated into a completely different issue but you know that's what we talk about a lot particularly this year now, I, and Josh will agree with me on what I'm about to say. I think the reason that Mississippi has changed as much as it has, until you ride through the Arkansas Delta in the wintertime and compare it to the Mississippi Delta, they are two different animals. You look at the Mississippi Delta during the wintertime, Josh, does it not does it not look like the moon landscape or something during the wintertime? There's nothing. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I mean, it does. Um, Can I say there's, about this? there's nothing for a duck to feed on in Mississippi no, like it used no, to there's be. Not. There's not. You know, and here's the thing. You know, um, I brought this up, Jake, to Rocky. Uh, God, I don't know. February may have may have been in in duck season. We were talking about late late duck season anyway, and because people. Well, yeah, it was late in duck season because the state of Mississippi, like all other states, do, do a aerial survey of waterfowl every so often, once a week, once every other week or whatever. Well, if you looked at Mississippi's, and if you've looked at Mississippi's for just go ahead and say the last five years, um, it's becoming pretty consistent where the high, high 
uh, concentrated areas of especially mallards are, but really and truly it's mallards and gadwalls. Well, and so Rocky and I were talking about it, and I said this. I said, well, Rocky, when did you see big clubs start taking a conservation mindset and start not just hunting ducks but farming for ducks? And, And Rocky's immediate answer was 18 to 20 years ago. I said, okay, well, I firmly think now Mississippi, Arkansas, parts of Tennessee, Missouri, um, Louisiana, some, the big clubs that take that, that, that 15, 20 years ago, who started taking that conservation mindset, the, the mindset that was probably um, brought to their attention by Dr. Waterfowl or Ducks Unlimited or local conservation uh, groups, is that, you know, to start refuging ducks so that you can enjoy it and it's better for the area, okay, the conservation mindset, instead of just put somebody in every hole and hunt hunt it every chance you get. And I think what you're seeing now is so many ducks have done that and have found safety and found refuge in that area that they've imprinted on it, and that that has created minor shifts in, in where the highly concentrated areas of the Mississippi Flyway are, especially especially in the Mississippi Delta. But you see it in Arkansas Delta and parts of Missouri and, and Tennessee too. Um, you just, I mean, these clubs a lot, and I mean, it's nothing against them. It's just, it's good for waterfowl, but it can definitely be frustrating for some people, uh, you know, outside looking in um, because, you know, it's just like, well, there's nothing here to hunt. Well, Technically, yeah, there is. There's more birds today than there's ever been, ever. You cannot, you cannot argue that. But it's just, it's. There's so many more people hunting. There's so many places now. I mean, and dang, it seems like every field around here has water held on it. So what birds are here are spread out. But the but the clubs with the diverse habitat and the places, those areas with that diversity of habitat. They're the ones holding the birds, and more of it now are private clubs versus um, versus 20 years ago when it was mostly just WMAs or federal refuges that had that type of habitat. Well, I'll never forget oh. the day that you walked up to me and you showed me the, the, uh, the report on a map where the concentration of ducks were in the state of Mississippi, and the highest concentration areas were York Woods in Tallahatchie County, Fighting Bio in Sunflower County, and Pussy Lake down north of Vicksburg. And those yep. are all private clubs. And yep. those, those are the three, three those are the three glowing red high concentration areas in the entire state from goes start back of to what Jake was saying. To the end of the season. That's right. And it's just caused it hasn't caused a major disruption but it has definitely caused a noticeable, dis- uh, not disruption, but change in the way that ducks use the Mississippi Delta. Um, you know, uh, I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with this Highway 82 running, you know, in and out of Greenwood. Fifteen years ago, Highway 82, I mean, you say, you still say it all the time. You're just so used to saying it, Rocky, the Highway 82 flyway, that corridor. Well, it's not that way anymore. Um, but used to. My gosh, you could spit on the side of 82 and kill ducks. I mean, it's just it's just changed. It, it hadn't changed but maybe 10 or 15 miles, but it's just changed. 
I've got I've got something really important that I think correlates to all this too. And while I'm not from Mississippi, so I don't want to speak for Mississippi, and I certainly don't want to get into a debate with anyone debate with anyone from Mississippi. But you know this this program that I'm working with now at the National Wildlife Federation, the Vanishing Paradise program, is part of this whole coastal conservation deal. And one of the things that I noticed and we talked about at our meeting in Washington, D.C., was how these, you know, the, the, the dike system has has ultimately blocked the Mississippi River from its natural diversions to feed the delta, the, the natural delta, the water and the that, you know, that that was naturally going. And my question to you guys is do you think that you know that has something to do with with any changes that has been you know that you guys have noticed in the waterfowl concentrations in Mississippi because the upper portion of the delta is the part that's getting the least amount of water because there's there's no water going to it right that's right and there's so, so and because of this, now I'm going to make sure this is right before we get into it, but the lower portions are the areas that are getting all this water, right? Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately going down into the bird's, bird's foot of the lower Mississippi and, and uh, you know, um, ultimately, you know, getting dumped in the uh, Gulf Coast and off into the, the uh, continental shelf. So the lower Mississippi is getting some. But you know, really, none of it's getting any. <laughs> to be honest with you, so you know, if they, I'm, I, I'm, let's just mark this date right now. When they start this reclamation program with the Vanishing Paradise deal, and they start cutting these diversions in the levees all along the Mississippi from you know the upper delta to the lower delta into the birds of the lower Mississippi River. Let's just see what happens because I I truly believe when they start to um, they start to cut these diversions and start to allow allow that water to naturally flow back into the delta that that, that duck migration is going to come back to Mississippi and right now I know Ducks Unlimited I believe had some statistics for 2016 that there were three million less ducks uh, wintering in southern Louisiana. Um, in 2016, because of this, you know, this coastal degradation that's happening, and um, there's still more ducks than there ever has been in South Louisiana. But there's three million—I'm sorry, not three thousand—three million less ducks wintering down there than there have been over the past several years. And you know, that's a lot of ducks, man. And that's part of your area when you when you start looking at it on a map. I mean, you're in the same that that. The Mississippi Delta is part of that whole that whole region, so I just wonder if that's not a big part of it, and what's going to happen once they do start diverting that water back into the delta naturally, how that's going to affect your duck season. It will be very interesting to see how that affects it. Um, on top of the fact that Louisiana has ridiculously high amounts of waterfowl and still there's statistics showing that that they don't have as many as, as they did in, in the recent years. That that's crazy to think right. about. Um you know three um, million less. 
Yeah, I mean that that's unbelievable. That's just that it's, it's crazy. Um, no, I don't know. We had we had talk after talk this year about about you know Houston. You could you know you could follow a migration with cold fronts and everything, and especially this year. And I think it was just because we paid so close attention to it. So many. Uh, when a cold front would hit and come through an area, come come down through the Mississippi uh, flyway, so many birds never showed up because of it. But the guys in the western states saw it. It's just like almost when the birds got to about central Missouri, they 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 started going west um, with every with every weather front instead of farther south. Um, and I think and, we're talking ourselves a whole nother conversation about this. Yeah, whole oh, for sure. Delta, the whole Delta, it, the drying, the you know the 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 Delta is drying up because of the this whole you know Mississippi River, uh, you know channeling system, and you know I think we're talking. I think this comes full circle back to the whole you know Washington D.C. meeting that I had and the, the podcast we did about that because. Again, you start thinking about what you're saying, where these ducks are diverting west, you know, basically they're going to where there's water. Is that not true? They're flying south, and there's just as many ducks as there ever has been. They're just not going to the same spots. And I'm just sitting here thinking while we're talking about this going, well, this is crazy. This is because Maybe this is all because of the whole, the whole you know, Delta coastal, conservation program that 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 you know we've recently been talking about well there there's no there's absolutely no denying that we saw major decrease in bird numbers because of what because of no water um now early in the year this year early in the in the duck season this year early in the fall where was the water in this part of the Mississippi Delta? It was, it was the only water, the only habitat was Louisiana. And, mm. um, you know, and usually in what you would call a quote-unquote normal year, um, we can have a real strong, I mean, I live in the central part of the Delta, Mississippi Delta, you can get a real strong south wind, a front to come, you know, fr- from the south. Uh, we get a reverse migration out of Louisiana. We haven't seen that. Um Hardly at all. I mean, I, I literally, this is funny, but I really, about two weeks ago, I was turkey hunting and, and I called Rocky. And I was excited because I finally saw big numbers of gadwalls because they finally left Louisiana coming back north. <laughs> but but they, they just never did it this year or last year um, because when they're moving out early in the fall, there is the, there is no water. There's none. I mean, I uh, there, there's just none. And they, they bypass it and they go where they, go where they have to go. You know, so I'm thinking the bigger the bigger shift of mallards to the west. Um, I say that leans more toward farming practices than anything. Um, now, he, but well, I say that, but uh, there's lack of water and habitat in the Mississippi Delta for sure, and mm-hmm. habitat <clears throat> including food. But you know, when you start really and truly, when you get south of Missouri. Ducks don't really dry feed, but out west they still do. They're, because there is there's not much water. But you know, I look at it as a whole uh, uh, habitat diversity aspect. Um, those states, Kansas, Oklahoma, North Texas, they have it better than we do here. And 
does not take a bird with wings that can fly a couple hundred miles a day to figure that out. It just it doesn't right. it doesn't doesn't take that. Uh, I also I also think a lot of it has to do with with just the sheer number of hunters. Um, there's so many more people hunting and pressuring birds in this part of the country than there are there, uh, and and that definitely plays into it to some degree. I think well, guys, I think it has been uh, it has been an awesome conversation. We have to carry it on end over into next week because I know both of y'all have to run, and my phone is playing crazy with me. I don't know what in the world's going on. I'm sure that y'all could hear mine going in and out. Yeah, <laughs> thing. Um, but before we go, we want to talk about Mr. Joseph Presley at Four Corner Properties. We want to thank him for being the sponsor of the Only X podcast. If you're looking for a deer, turkey, or duck uh, hunting track of land, need to give Joseph a call. He can be reached at 601-540-7240. Guys, I will have to say it has been an awesome time today. I loved the, the the first portion of this where we were talking about the pranking, and then we go in depth talking about the duck hunting. So, yeah, I think it'll be an entertaining podcast for anybody to listen to today. Josh is at the, in the control booth today in the Ducks House Studios. Uh, we moved the Ducks House Studios over to Kruger, Mississippi today, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, we want to thank I want to thank you guys. Thank you for the interesting conversation. We'll thank you for joining this edition of the On the X podcast powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs> <laughs>